What's going on, guys? Welcome to this edition of the John Papaloni Show. Today, I have Rachel, and I'm going to be interviewing her, bringing her in right now. Hey there. How's it going, Rachel? Good. How are you, John? Doing fantastic. I'm excited about uh, this interview today, and uh, because you uh, do finances, and, and, and you have a unique niche, which is what really intrigues me. So... But before we get into that, let's just start off with a brief bio, like telling us where you started, what you did before, and how you got to what you're doing today. Sure. So um, my firm is called True Worth Financial Planning, and I started that um, right at the onset of the pandemic in 2020. Um, and I work primarily with either women who are going through a divorce or who have recently lost a spouse. And before I went off and started my own firm, I actually worked in the big wealth management firms for probably 13 years. And so I um, was in a very different world <laughs> for many, many years and really didn't have any intention of leaving the, the traditional wealth management world. And then I got more familiar with, um, running how to run an independent firm. And I realized that I can work with exactly who I want to work with and I can help them in a way that I think that they need to be helped. And I could be really creative and, and not limited by my firm. So, um, yeah, went out on my own mid 2020. And, um, so it's been a little over a year and a half. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic. It's been better than I could have ever imagined. Well, I find that interesting because uh, you kind of made the switch during the so-called pandemic that we're in. And I did. Yeah. So uh, like, did the time as we were in inspire you to change at all? Or was it something you wanted to do? And that just happened to be the time you did it. COVID absolutely s s created this idea in my head. And if it, if it weren't for COVID, not that I want to give COVID credit for anything good, but... <laughs> If it wasn't for that, I don't know that I would have done this because it wasn't even on my radar before. And what started it is we were on lockdown. I have two kids. You can probably hear them downstairs. They're leaving for school right now. But um, I had two kids that I was trying to like entertain during the day and trying to get work done. So I'd take them for walks around my neighborhood and I'd listen to these podcasts and I'd listen to these uh, XYPN podcasts. It's like this group of fee-only advisors that work with a lot of younger clients and do fee only work. And I started listening to these podcasts and I was like, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that there are advisors outside of the big wirehouses. Like there was this whole world out there that I have had such a sheltered little life in the, in the big firms that, you know, I knew that there were independent advisors, but I didn't really know what that meant. And I didn't know that you can do things that you can't otherwise do with the big firms because they don't really allow, I mean, there's, there's definitely some good things to be said about working for those big firms, but they don't allow you to like totally build your own practice however you want. And so after listening to these podcasts, I, I learned what was possible and I learned that it was actually something that I could do. It wasn't like this ridiculously complicated thing. It was, it was actually something that was doable. And, and so it, once I learned that, I was like, oh, this is clearly what I need to do. And once I made that decision, I executed it within a couple of months. So COVID really had a hand in that, in the, in the starting of my business. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I totally get that. Um, okay. So yeah, like obviously the business you're in has a lot of rules, restrictions and stuff yes. like that. Um, but your limitations from what you're saying, was that a company limitation or was that a regulation limitation? Both. So there's, there's a lot of, obviously it's like one of the most regulated industries ever as it should be. Um, and so there's the compliance side is probably extra restrictive in the big companies because they're creating policies for the lowest common denominator. I would say like someone that really needs someone watching over their shoulder and saying, Hey, don't promise returns to clients or Hey, don't post this on, you know, social media or something like there, there are these rules in place because there are some bad apples somewhere that need to be kind of kept in line. But what happens is it really restricts the people that are doing the right thing. And it prevents them from doing a lot of things the way that they would have otherwise. 
Um, and being out on my own, I'm obviously still subject to those same regulations. It's just, I don't have this, like the interpretation of a compliance department. Um, so I am my compliance department. And as long as I keep in line with the rules and regulations, which I, I totally like keep aware of everything, um, then I'm fine. And so that, that has some, some to do with it. But then also when you're working for a big firm, they're deciding your technology for you. They're deciding how you can market. They're deciding what you can post on social media. They really keep, keep you in a box, which is, is totally fine. Cause they're, I would say the majority of those advisors aren't trying to do anything crazy with like, Oh, I want to do something more on social media, or I want to advertise in this totally different way. Like it works really well for the, probably the majority of advisors. But when you have other ideas, like I am obsessed with tech stuff, like the, the little apps that I have to help me run my business. I'm like obsessed with it. And I could not go back to the old way because they're like, this is the software that you use for this. And this is the software that you use for that. And I'm like, nope, I have way better ideas. So that was, that's kind of a little more limiting. So now I'm able to like build things however I want, which is really fun. And it, it helps me run my business really efficiently. For sure. So man, I'm, I'm developing all kinds of questions and I'm hoping I don't forget them as they go through. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I was going to go into something else, but I'm going to go into the tech tools, as you were saying first, just because you brought that up and it's fresh. So going into tech tools, like, can you give us some examples of some of the apps and tools that have helped your business out that normally you wouldn't have had? Yeah. So a bit, I mean, the, probably the, the software that I use the most are my customer relationship management software, where I keep track of all my clients and all the notes on all the conversations that I had and the meetings that I scheduled with them. And that's something that most, that's not unique to me. Uh, the, all financial advisors use that and people in other industries use, use something like that. And then I have Real my estate family. agents and mortgage brokers exactly. and or hotels even, I mean, everyone, yeah. a lot of people use something like that. And then my financial planning tools are not super unique to me, but it's a really important part of my, of my, um, business. But what I, where I start going off, off the deep end <laughs> is like, I create these automations. So I, I don't know if you've ever heard of Zapier. I don't yes. know if that's how you say it, but I'm so obsessed with it. I spend way too much time playing around in there, but like, if you save a file to this one folder, it automatically sends it to here where you need to, it's like you could, there are all these things that you might otherwise do, have to do yourself or have to hire an assistant to do, and you can automate them so that it just happens automatically and you don't even think about it. So I have this whole, like I have processes for everything I do, whether it's when I meet a new client or a new prospect. And then once I onboard them and then the process that I take them through, there's a lot of automation that happens behind the scenes that I don't have to think, oh, it's time for me to send this one email and I need to remember to do this thing and send a link to to schedule a meeting or whatever that happens automatically. And it's not like it makes, I don't think it seems automated on the other end. It's not like it sounds like a robot is talking. I mean, it's, it's just these little things that happen behind the scenes that the client doesn't even know about that just gets done automatically instead of me doing it, which is like the most giant time saver. It's so incredible. Um, so that's something that I use that that would never be possible you know, working for the big firms, they don't allow any sort of like outside software. Right. See, I like Zapier myself. And to be honest, I don't know a lot about it. I mean, I know of it because I've been around it and it saved my butt a couple of times um, where I've had, you know, software and uh, my websites and stuff that had a lot of integrations, but it's one of those things that um, the integrations came in to, well, I tried to save money. So I, cause you know, I'm pretty tech savvy, so you can set it up yourself. I'm like, I'm yeah. going to do it. I couldn't get it to work direct, but when I use Zapier, yep. it made the process so much easier. And it's for myself, magical. I didn't want it to do the task. I don't care if it's because of the third party or if yeah. it's direct, I just want it to work. Yeah. So it kind of saved my butt because uh, it's one of those things where, you know, let's face it, you put projects together and you have timelines. Otherwise, what's the point if you're going to miss your deadline? Yeah. So it's one of those things that it just saved the deadline and it saved the expense. Yep. So 
I, yeah. I, I love the way that it integrates with everything. It's amazing. And they're always adding new, new integrations. It's like, it keeps getting better. For sure. And uh, I love the CRM thing. I mean, even though, like you said, many industries have it. When I first got into business, uh, or at least uh, into real estate, um, I always, uh, it's one of those things that the CRM intrigued me, but I kept finding reasons why I didn't need it. Yeah. Um, I just, the truth of the matter is I just did not want to pay for it. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, in, uh, in the beginning, when you're starting, I mean, like, I'm not sure what your fees are, but I imagine they're a lot lower than mine. And what I mean by that is that our first year, my first year to get licensed between school and uh, all the licensing fees and registrations and everything, I spent about $11,000 in my first year mm -hmm. to get registered. And it's about seven to $8,000 every year after, roughly. Wow. Just to uphold your certification yes. and everything? Wow. Yes, because uh, a lot of times we're seeing where I'm a licensed realtor. No, I'm not. Yeah. The brokerage is licensed. You're licensed through the brokerage, which yeah. basically means you can't get your direct license. You need to be within a brokerage. Yeah. So that means you're paying brokerage fees, whether you want to or not. Yeah. And um, and trust me, it's cheaper than getting your own license and having your own brokerage. But I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is you're still paying something. It's not like you just went to school, signed a piece of paper. Now you're licensed the way you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right so but so that being said when you're paying all these fees like you're paying the brokerage you're paying the board fees and if you're like me where you're sort of in between the downtown city and and the uh, uh and the outskirts mm -hmm. there's different boards so now i'm paying for both boards because i don't want half the information like if i was just downtown and or just in the city i would be able to just stick on the one, one board yeah but because i do both sides i kind of need both yeah so, and everything adds up. Like it's, it's not like it's like 8,000 rate of check. What it is, is different boards. You pay 800 for, for one board, you pay 800 for another board, then you pay the monthly fees then you pay, you know, and it just all adds up. And that, yeah. you know, so in the beginning, when you're spending that kind of money and you haven't made a cent and somebody's telling you, go get a CRM and go, I got Google good enough. Yeah. I have a notepad. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> But then that's the thing. Once you learn how to use it and you see how it integrates with everything and you can actually learn how it saves time and saves money. Yeah. It's then and all of a sudden you're going, how could I have been short, so short sighted and not known this? Yeah. Right. No, I've, like, I've learned to look at that in a whole different way. Like any expense that I have, it's like how much, costs are the is this going to save me in the long run or how much revenue is this going to generate it's not just the short term that you think about with stuff like that yeah that's true that that's exactly it right like i i love it i absolutely love it like i mean don't get me wrong there's certain times it's like oh god i don't feel like entering it but there's been you know there's you know how many times i've met up with somebody and say oh i got your thing last week and you're sitting there going mm, what thing it was automated yeah they didn't know it was automated but it was yeah. automated yeah. So I also learned that I have to keep track of what it's automating. So when somebody says something. So when like, someone asks you, you're not like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So I've been caught by that before. <laughs> <laughs> the only good thing is I'm good at winging it. So they didn't know. <laughs> it's good. But yeah, like, so that's good. Like, how did you realize that? I mean, obviously, was tech always in you or is it something you developed because of the business you're in? Not at all. It, this was, I could barely charge my iPhone. <laughs> like I'm not tech savvy at all. There's like a, this is, you can see the sun is coming in and blinding me. So I'm going to turn this this way. Um, so I didn't, I didn't even know that that kind of tech even existed. So I was just totally clueless. And when I went on my own, I started small. I started with like, Oh, I can get a calendar system to where I don't have to email back and forth to set up meetings. I'm going to get Calendly. And so I'd like, find that little tidbit. And then all I do is just listen to podcasts all day, every day. And I learn all sorts of crazy things. And I, I listen specifically to, I started by listening to a lot of podcasts put on by advisors or right. marketers or whatever. And I'd learn a lot about the tech that they use in their businesses, like to, to make things easier in all these different ways. And so I just kind of started learning a little bit at a time along the way. And by now I'm like, I'm like obsessed with it and it's so fun and it's so cool. And whenever I have a, whenever I know someone who's starting their own business, I'm like, oh my gosh, can I come over and like set, set up your, your 
tech stuff. Like I get so excited about it because it's, it's like something, it's like the secret world I never knew existed. And cause I wasn't allowed to play with any of these toys before, but now I can. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so I, I uh, sense a uh, second uh, business come in. I know my husband said, you should like, you should set up like automations for people or, or and I'm like, there are people that do that and that do a better job at it. And I just do it. That would take all the fun out of it if I tried to make it into a job. And I like my real job better than making automations. <laughs> True. Now, going back into your uh, job here, like you chose a very unique, you know, niche market. Yes. Why? So I, I always enjoyed working with newly divorced women or newly widowed women. And there, you come across a pretty decent amount of those just working for a normal wealth management firm, just because there's, that's usually a, a trigger for needing some sort of financial help. And so I always knew that I really enjoyed working with them and I felt like I could really help them. And they're really like extra appreciative for the help at, at times like that. And so when I went out on my own, you know, it's hard, it's hard to try to cast your net to catch everyone. I mean, you can't, you can't do everything for everyone. You need to specialize in something so that otherwise you, you just can't be that great at every little thing. So I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to work with women. You know, I really like working with women and, and particularly women who are going through some sort of life transition. Um, and so that's what I decided to do. And once I started doing that, I decided this is really all I'm going to work with. I'm not really going to work with people outside of that niche anymore, just because um, it's a better experience for the client. It's a better experience for me. There's some similarities between these different clients. And so it's not like I'm every situation. It's not like they're totally different. It's, it's made it a little bit easier for everyone. Um, and another reason why that niche really appealed to me is I've had some, kind of scary stuff happened in my personal life. My husband was diagnosed with brain cancer a few years ago and he's alive and doing quite well right now. But um, going through that experience, having this like horrific diagnosis and trying to plan for the future and having like all of this emotional stress, but then also having to plan financial stuff. It was just like such this crazy experience. And I thought, you know, if I didn't have the financial background, there would be this whole extra layer of stress and terror in this situation that luckily, you know, I didn't have to worry about that stuff because of, because of my background and because of the stuff that we had done to prepare for worst case scenarios. But there's a lot of women who are in that situation that don't have that background or that don't, aren't in that type of position. And they're, you know, when they're going through the loss of their spouse or, you know, someone is sick or they're getting a divorce and they have all these other things to worry about. And they're like, Oh, how am I going to pay the bills or how am I going to stay in my house or how are my kids going to be able to keep going to private school or whatever? It's like, it's like things that you don't want to be worrying about. The financial stuff is, is it seems like something you shouldn't have to worry about, but unfortunately you do. And I feel like, with my professional background and I have some specific training that I've done specifically with divorce. Um, and then, and combined with the, with the personal stuff, I feel like I can connect with, with women who are going through that type of situation in a way that probably most other advisors couldn't. And I feel like I can help them in ways and I can think of things that another advisor might not think of. And so I think it, I think it's really like, made that niche perfect for me. Like this, this is, this is, this is the group of women that I need to be working with and that I do the best work for. Which makes sense. Now, obviously uh, you left your old brokerage or work to do this on your own. Mm -hmm. So are you in this niche market then, and then just sort of found a way to expand it? Or is, was this sort of like, I've moved on my own and this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. So it was my unofficial niche, I would say. I mean, in the in the regular wealth management firms, there there isn't 
much in the way of niches. Um, you kind of work with whoever has a bunch of money and it's, they, they don't really make it easy to, to work with niches. But so I, I, I definitely gravitated towards that in the past, but it was until I went out on my own where I could, I can say, I only work with women who are divorcing or widowed. Like I, I, I can say that I can do whatever I want. And, um, I would not, I mean, I guess I could have done that before, but it, it wouldn't have, it, it probably wouldn't have worked. So it was once I went out on my own, I was like, all right, this is my niche. This is my official niche. I'm, I'm not really going outside of that anymore. Right now, what was it that made you decide that you only want to do your niche? Like sometimes I believe in niche marketing as well. And in niche out there. Now, when I started, I tried to get everything for everybody, which, you know, is a recipe for disaster. Yes. Clearly. But I promote to a certain sector, but I don't say no to the other business either. Yeah. What made it's you just say, this is what I do. That's yeah, my specialty. And that's all I do. It's hard to, it's hard to turn business away, especially when you're first launching your, your business. It's like, I can't say no to anyone. I, I need to keep my business running. And, um, but what I noticed is people that I took on that were outside of the niche, the farther outside of the niche they were, the more time it took, the harder it was to, to work with them. Like everything was just so much easier and so much better, the closer they were to the niche. And once I figured that out, it's like, yeah, I, I'm, I would not be turning away business, but it's not as profitable if I'm spending extra time because I'm not super familiar with the situation or, you know, if I'm, if I, if I work with a married couple, for example, that's a very different situation than working with a single person, not just because there's two people's worth of data, but also there's like, you, you're, you're counting on them to be communicating with each other and then meetings get more complicated. It's just like egos get involved as well. Yeah. And when I just stick to the niche, everything works better. So it's like, I'm not going to try to make an extra dollar by taking someone who is not a great fit for me because it's not going to be worth it for them or for me. Right now in discovering that, was it like a scary place for you to do this or was, or was this sort of like a result of what you were doing and then decided kind of like accidental? Cause sometimes like if it's a conscious choice, it becomes the, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to do it. But getting into it becomes scary because now you realize you're dropping off a certain section. Yeah. It was really scary. It was really, really scary. And at first, when I first went out on my own, I really was like, not ready to commit to only working with people in that niche. I was like, you know, I work with a lot of widows and divorcees, but you know, I work with all these other people too. And I, I like, didn't want to limit, I didn't want to exclude anyone. And I was kind of careful about how I worded things, but then I realized that's not doing anyone a favor them or me. And I think it's best that I just get more clear on it myself and then get more clear on it with, with the message that I send out to people um, and once I did that, it's like, yeah, it was scary. But once I did it, I was like, oh, this just makes so much more sense. People know exactly what I do now. There's no confusion. If someone hears, oh, my, my friend is getting a divorce and she's got some money issues. It's like, oh, well, clearly you need to talk to Rachel because that's all she does all day long rather than like, oh, call my parents advisor who like works with all sorts of situations and isn't really an expert in maybe any of those situations. Yeah. I think that's the worst thing. And I believe I really, what I mean by the worst thing is that you just call somebody because of somebody else's use and you know, nothing about them. You don't know what they do. You don't know what yeah. they specialize in, but it's just Bob's friend or Jeff's friend or Mary's friend or whatever. Yeah. And what ends up happening is that I find just from experience and it's not always the case what ends up happening is because everybody's guards down, what ends up happening is people take things for granted and details that would normally come in don't come in. And then it just doesn't feel personalized. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, like there's no generic box that fits everyone. 
Yeah. And you still have to do your due diligence. Even if you have a referral, you still need to ask all the same questions and do all the same research to make sure that that's a good fit for you. For sure. And I, I you know, I'm fascinated by your niche. And I mean, not just because you pick divorced women or widows. I don't mean it that way. What fascinates me is the way that you found what you're good at and you went from being good at it to becoming the best at it. And then you just full charge ahead, right? You, yeah. you, you came across the fear and instead of letting it hold you back and, and hesitate, you just jumped right in and did it anyways. Yeah. Whenever right? I'm scared of something, it's usually because it's what I need to do. And I just know I need to do it. It's like, well, whatever, I guess I just need to do this and I need to get over it. So the fact that it, it made me nervous made me feel like I was on the wrong track or on the right track. I mean, I know what you meant, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, and that's the thing I, I started doing that too. Right. I mean, and it is a very scary place. I'm, I, I found when I try to do everything for everybody, forget the service the client gets. If you want to be selfish, I didn't like the way I felt. I become doing a job that I chose to be in and I'm frigging miserable. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm going, I tried to figure out why am I so miserable? I mean, I've been making, you know, my income has been phenomenal, right? Like I, I, like I hate to say it, but COVID hit and my income doubled or tripled. Yeah. Right. So it's like one of those things that it's like, so I've gotten the good results from it and I have nothing to do with the pandemic to be clear. Yeah. But I mean, it was the fact that it brought me, it made me focus in a sense, right? When you're at home and you're sitting there going, okay, well, all my distractions are gone. Yeah. And now you're sitting there going and start thinking about things. Yeah. So I got focused and I started, that's when I started niching. I said, what's working for me? What's not working for me? Yeah. Right. Like, and, and then that's when I started analyzing things, but that's when I started getting, you know, into that self-realization, but I haven't fully committed to the level that you have. And I've been wanting to. So that's why I'm fascinated by this, right? Cause it's like, wow, someone actually did what I was thinking and in a way I'm getting a preview of the results. So it's almost like I'm getting a sample without doing it myself. Yeah. And what so I did is I listened again, back to the podcast, like I just listened to all these podcasts and I would hear about people who there's like a, an advisor who only works with doctors who are getting out of their residency within the last couple of years. And then there's people who only, there was one guy who only works with Chick-fil-A franchisees. And I was like, that's like the coolest niche ever, because if you own a Chick-fil-A, that is the only guy that you're going to go to. And I don't care. It, it could be all of, I don't, I'm assuming Chick-fil-A is just in the States, but like, think of all those people. It's, it doesn't have to be a huge group of people. It can be a small group of people, but if you are the go-to person for that particular type of person, like you, you don't need to, you don't need to cast this wide net. You just need to have good quality um, people to work with that, that you can really connect with. And you really, really, really understand and especially with something that's complicated, like if, if they own a particular type of business, no other advisor is going to know anything about that. It's really, niches are really like powerful. I agree with you 100% on that. And that's the thing. Unfortunately, I think when we try to do everything for everybody, it's then because we've got everything. this, well, that too, <laughs> but it's also because of a scarcity mindset. It ends up being that this is what I want to do, but if I focus on that, what if I don't get enough? I'm going to be stuck. What do I do then? Right. And I, and I think part of growth is we got to take the scarcity out and it's got to become not, or, but I could do this and, and this can happen. I could become that big fish in a small pond and I could make a living and I can help people and I can, you know, do a better job and I can become the leading expert and I could do whatever it is I need to do to reach the next level within my circle. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a, it's a good way of thinking about it. And when you take, when you take on someone because you feel like you have to, and they're, but they're not a good fit, then it is, it is this mentality where it's like, it is a mentality of scarcity. But if you feel, if you realize that this is not the right person for me. There are a lot, plenty of people out there where it is the right fit and waiting for them. It might, I might wait a little bit longer, but it's going to be, it's going to pay off so much better. It's going to be a better fit. They're going to then repeat, you know, they're going to tell 
their friends or other people in that situation about you because they had such a good experience. Whereas someone who like, oh, I just took them on because they called me and it wasn't as good of an experience. They're not going to be telling people about you. And, and maybe you wouldn't even want them to tell other people about you because they're telling other people that are like them. So it's like. You brought up another point there, right? This is what, what there's a saying out there. And I think it applies to everybody. You get what you focus on. So going to what you were saying, if you have the wrong person and you're focused on helping the wrong person and that person tells that another person, well, we are who we hang around. So they're telling more of the wrong person. Exactly. You don't want to replicate that client. You want to, you want to look at your very best clients, the ones that they love you, you love them, you do a great job for them. Those are the people that you want to be replicating. And, and you can just, it's such a better use of your time to be focused on the pe those people. For sure. Now, Every business has this or every person, not business. We get into business. We start building ourselves. We start building our, our uh, crowd. We start building our, um, our people, as we'll call mm -hmm. it. Um, and we have a moment where all the good things happen. And then, you know, because we're always striving for what we think is success. We always get this aha moment. What was your aha moment saying? Okay, I went through all the scary times this is it. I'm on the right path. I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I can stop worrying about reaching success and start building it. Cause I'm here. I think that that moment happened when I started, I had really resisted social media for as long as I could. I don't use social media much in my personal life. So it felt uncomfortable for me to use it for work. But so I, for the first year, I really didn't make much of an effort there. But when I, when I finally did, and when I got more eyes on what I was doing and I got such a positive response from it, like, Oh, you're doing this service. That's so important for women. And I'd get really great feedback from other professionals, from attorneys or CPAs. And then even just people that were following my stuff, they were just like, Oh my gosh, this is great information. And I'm like, Oh, they're probably not hearing this from anywhere else. And I'm glad to be a resource, but also I'm like, oh, this is not a super crowded space. I mean, obviously there's like a gazillion people on social media, but for people that are actually like trying to reach clients on social media and doing it, doing a good job at that, it's not, there's not a ton of people out there who are doing that. So I was like, oh, there's a lot of people who are interested in what I'm doing and who I can help. and. Like it was really, um, I was really happy to see that because otherwise bef before I had social media, I, I had to wait for people to find me on my website through Google or whatever. And then people, you know, obviously referrals too. I, I know a lot of people in the community, but um, once I got a little bit more exposure, I was like, oh, this is, this is a, this is a lot easier than I thought to to get in front of the people that I need to get in front of. Right. Now here's the other thing, right? What is your biggest source of business right now? What I mean is like, where do you get the, the most calls? Is it referrals? Is it online leads? Is it social media? Is it a, is it advertising? Like what brings you the most? Uh, referrals for sure. So I, um, I have a big, big network of estate planning attorneys, family law attorneys, CPAs, real estate agents, mortgage lenders, like all these people and in my area. And then also outside of my area too, I'm constantly working with people like that because we collaborate on clients that we have in common. And then, you know, it's easy when they meet someone else who's in that situation for, for us to refer each other. And so I have a, a ton of that. I have some really great professionals that I partner with, that I work closely with and that I get a, a nice steady stream of um, referrals from them. And I, and I send out a gazillion referrals. I mean, all day long, I'm sending referrals for all sorts of different people. So it's, it's definitely a two-way street, but that seems to be the best way. Um, and it's, you know, those people are, they are getting a referral from someone that they really trust 
in a professional sense. So it's like they're, they're good quality referrals for sure. Right. See, what I get as a saying we have is that our network equals our net worth. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, that's exactly what you described there, right? Like the more people you know, the more people you're helping, the more people you're servicing, the more people that will refer you, the bigger your network grows. Yeah, absolutely. And I live in a relatively, like I live in the Sacramento area and it's, it's not a very big town and we all kind of know each other. And I think that really helps, especially like starting out, it helped that I already had this network. Um, it didn't take a lot to develop that. And also I'm glad that I had that network before COVID because that really put a wrench into networking events and things like that. But um, I really, it was really good to be able to leverage that because I, I have the people that I know, but then now I have the people that they know. And LinkedIn has been such a such an incredible tool for that too. For sure, right? Like it's... Uh... Long are the day, gone are the days where LinkedIn was just a job site. Yeah, now I didn't realize that until fairly recently. I had I hadn't really gotten into it, and I'm like, oh, LinkedIn is so much cooler than I thought. It's it's really like you can do some amazing things on there. Absolutely, like it's I'm still learning it myself. Like I've always used it, but it was sort of the uh, it's just there, you know. Yeah. Like like I, I've been starting to take it real serious uh, for yeah. the last uh, few months. Me too. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Now, when, um, what would, uh, where was I going to go with this? I, I've got two questions. I'm trying to decide which one I want to go to. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Let's go to, um, let's go to the process here. When uh, someone uh, decides they're going to need your service or like whatever circumstance happens, they come across your name and they call you. Can mm-hmm. you describe to us the process? Yeah. So when, when I first, when I first talk to someone, we kind of focus on getting an idea of what their situation looks like. They share with me what they're, what they came to me for, you know, what, what's the reason why they're looking for help. And I get some details on their situation and and what their goals are and what, just what they're trying to accomplish. And at that point, you know, I share a little bit about how I work and how, I might be able to help them with some of the issues that they're facing and that they're wanting to deal with. And at that point, you know, once they decide if it's a good fit, then there's a, then, you know, they, they go on one process that we start another process, but if it's not a good fit for whatever reason, a lot of times I'll refer them to someone else. I'll give them a little piece of information, you know, to help them out on their way. But if they do decide that it is a good fit, then there's this kind of process that I take everyone through. It works really well, no matter what the situation is. And that we start off by having a goals meeting where we just talk really in depth about their goals and just getting as specific as possible, what they want to accomplish with their finances in the short term, the intermediate term and the long term. And then Um, in the next meeting, we get all of their information organized. So they totally understand where they, where they stand currently. And so we look at all of their accounts, any debts they have, any insurance policies, any estate planning documents. We just get like a really clear understanding of their whole financial picture. And then once we do those two meetings, then I have the information that I need behind the scenes to go and figure out some strategies to get them from where they are now to where they want to be. And so I'll come up with recommendations like this is what we need to do with your retirement savings. We need to change it to this amount. We need to change your investments to this. We need to up your term life insurance policy. I'll come up with a list of, of really specific recommendations on how to get them to their goals. And then in the next meeting, I present those strategies to them and show them what this will look like, assuming, you know, you take these steps and then I give them their to-do list so they can just go through and check off these changes that they need to make. And then we have another meeting after that for just to check in and see how things are going, see if they have any issues as they're implementing the recommendations that I made. And then we have a recap meeting at the end um, just to kind of wrap up loose ends and make a plan for anything else that needs to be done going forward. And that that process typically takes about six months. And so what's nice is even though it's like a standardized process, it still accommodates every type of situation, no matter what their goals are, no matter what their 
financial situation is, we, we approach it in the same way each time. And so it, it works, it works really well. Uh, absolutely. Like, and you opened up a uh, topic that I want, like, well, a question that I want to ask you. Now, everybody has uh, moments where they're dealing with people that, um, you know what I mean? Like, for example, I'll use my uh, real estate business. For, what am I trying to say? Like, sometimes what happens is, like, objection handling is where I'm going. Now, what ends up happening sometimes, you know, you present options and you present a plan. Like, sometimes I'll meet with somebody, and as an example, they'll, they'll go, I have a budget of just, say, 600000 and I'm going to use real estate as an example. I have 600000 and I want the, uh, you know, the detached house with the white picket fence and uh, an acre of lot, and you're sitting there going wonderful. You said you had six hundred thousand. Is that your down payment? Because it's about two million. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like so, and they're sitting there not understanding. They think, oh well, I'll just move further west or further east and go wonderful. Instead of two million, you're at one point eight, right? Like you're sitting there trying to explain to them, and they have objections to like you have ideas and you have alternatives that could work for them, and you're trying to give them a long term plan. But we're in an era where everyone's like Instagram, which stands for instant gratification. Yes. And they want everything. They want what their end result and they want that today. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so, and I always tell people, why would you want to be at the end? The end is death. That's a real end. Why would you want to get to the end quickly? It's about the yeah. process. But we get these objections and we have to handle them and make, you know, it's through education, I guess. Yeah. Um, how do you handle your uh, objections and do you get a lot of them or, or, is your plan or do they pretty much take you at face value when they first get to know you? I don't have too much of a problem with that, but I do try to be really clear about expectations. Um, and I feel like when someone comes to a financial advisor because they need help, they're probably already pretty on board with whatever you're going to tell them because the fact that they came to you shows that they care and they're wanting to do something about it. So it's not like I get a lot of people who, by the time we get to the recommendations where they're like, no, I don't want to do that. Or, you know, that's too, I, I can't save that much. Or I, I want to spend more on this goal. They're usually pretty like reasonable and compliant or, or cooperative, I guess, like about doing those recommendations. The only thing that I run into is like people not like if I tell them, okay, this is what you're spending. This is like your budget and you need to kind of stay within this amount so that you can save this amount so that you can retire or whatever. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I could do that. And I'm like, can you though? Like, it's not what you're doing now. Like I, you need to understand this is very different than what you're doing now. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're the people think that they can get by on less or that they can, I don't know. I think, when you're talking about the future, it's, it doesn't seem very real. And so they're like, Oh, that sounds fine. But it's like, maybe it's once they get there, it's not going to be fine. And one thing that I, I see is like when we're planning for retirement and I'm like, okay, if you only need X amount of money during retirement, then yeah, what you're doing right now is fine. And they're like, okay, great. I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't leave you a lot of extra cushion for anything, for anything that you want to do. And they're like, oh, that's fine. You know? And I'm like, no, I, I work with people who are in that stage too. And you don't want to totally shortchange yourself in your later years. So I think just being realistic can be a struggle sometimes, but I feel like once you explain it to them and once you show it to them, they're, they're, they're like, oh, okay. You know, it's, this isn't like their area of expertise. I don't expect them to just like know all this stuff. So I, but it sometimes it, I do have to have a educational moment and kind of bring them back to earth sometimes. Yes. See, that's the thing where, I, <laughs> and it's funny that you, you know, cause we, what I thought of when you were talking was that a lot of times when people say things are okay, Oh, I can live with that. They're not factoring in inflation, right? They'll yeah. look at today as an example and like, oh, we'll use an example, maybe 20 years ago, somebody says, oh, you, you know, you're going to need a half a million to retire. I wish that was true, right? Because reality yeah. is with inflation, let's be honest, 20 years ago, if I said, here's a hundred bucks, 
you could probably do something useful with it. Today, I give you a hundred bucks and you say, great, I got a tank of gas, but I can't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right? So inflation's in there, but yeah. everyone considers what they can do and how they can manage based on today and don't factor the inflation of tomorrow. Now, yeah. obviously with your plan, you do factor that inflation. Yes. And I take it where the disconnect is. They're thinking in today's terms and you're yes. thinking of tomorrow. And I always make sure to clarify that. I, I always make sure to say we build an inflation these this is in today's dollars the equivalent of today's dollars so that they're thinking in the same the same terms um, yeah and a, a lot of people like when you tell them when you're when you're thinking about the amount of income that they need or the amount of expenses that they have they think about their basic expenses but then they're not thinking about things that aren't regular like they don't think about christmas gifts or the cost of haircuts throughout the year or um, dry cleaning. It's like things that they're not huge expenses, but they add up and you like, you may be able to live on a certain amount of income to cover your basic expenses, but that's assuming you, you stay home and you don't do anything and you don't spend any money on anything else. And it's like thinking about the whole, all of your spending. And I have this, this questionnaire that I made, because when you give someone like a budget spreadsheet, it's like, hey, fill out this budget spreadsheet. It's not going to be accurate. They, even the, they could have the best of intentions filling it out, but they just don't think about all those things. So I send this questionnaire instead that's like, how much do you spend per year on Christmas gifts? How much do you typically spend per year going out, you know, bringing like gifts to people? Like, like all these things that you don't think about so that they're reminded of, oh, I do have all these other expenses and I do need more money to live on than I, than I think I do. So true. And like, I, even with small business owners, I find that is a uh, more pertinent uh, point as well. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because a lot of times they'll have a budget for themselves and they're okay with their self budget, but they think of their business as separate. And what ends up happening is you're going out and I'm saying, I thought you didn't have a budget. All the company's paying for it. I could write it off. It's the same damn pot. If the company can't pay you payroll, you still don't have the money. Yeah. You know what I mean? They can't figure out like you just because it's in the business account doesn't mean it's unlimited funds. You still have expenses. And write-offs still... doesn't mean it's free. People yeah. use the word write-offs. I'm like, do you know what a write-off is? <laughs> it's not free. Pretty- and that's my point that I find there's a, there's a dis like just from my personal experiences and, you know, I find that there's a disconnect with small business owners because they really think it's different for their business. Like they yeah. understand that I got to sell like self budget and I got to control, but they don't understand that the budget applies to the business too. It's a yeah. different budget, but there's still a budget. Yeah, totally. And I have that disconnect sometimes because I am so disciplined in my personal spending, but with the business, I'm like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta get this new, it's the software. It's all those tools. And I'm like, I have to upgrade to the paid plan because then I get all these extra features and then I get, I get ahead of myself. So I have a spreadsheet where I need to, where I track all of the things that I'm spending money on tech wise. Cause I can get really out of control. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I mean, that's something we all go through. So I, I completely understand it. Like, like, look, even before we got on, I was talking to you about another monitor. Like I bought a uh, larger monitor. Now it makes sense. Like, I mean, having the larger monitor, cause I'm getting rid of the dual monitor and I'm trying to have the two monitors on the one. So yeah. obviously having a smaller monitor and trying to put two on the same monitor you used to have one on is a little bit more challenging. So I get the need, but it's one of those things. Was there another way to do it? Could I have planned it a little bit better? Was it today the right time? Never considered that. I said, I can't, you know, this one monitor is not enough. I'm yeah. ordering another one. Now I'm yeah. thinking about it and going, oh, what was my budget on? <laughs> so we all let things escape us. Yeah. So it happens. But um, now, have you ever had, a, like, we all have challenging moments in our business. Like every one of us, especially if you're self-employed. What was your most challenging moment? Whether, the, whether there was a personal factor involved or not. How did you deal with it? I would say my most challenging moment was fairly early on when I started my business and I had plenty of activity, 
but I wasn't generating a ton of revenue just because there's so much stuff that takes a long time to pay off. And I knew I was working a lot and I wasn't paying myself. You know, it took me a while to be able to pay myself. And, um, you know, it's hard, it's hard to work long hours. I have little kids. I have, you know, I'm married and I have other responsibilities and to be like working that much and not knowing how long it would take before I could kind of replicate the kind of income that I had before. Um, and then I got a job offer and I was like, Oh, you, you called me at just the right time where I'm like doubting. I don't know. I, I didn't like doubt that I was doing the right thing at all, but I was just like, you know, I'm in a kind of unusual personal situation with my husband and like the kids. And, you know, right now my husband is totally able to work and like, I have my insurance through him. And I'm like, what if something happens and he can't work or whatever? Like if something happened today, it would be really, really scary to be supporting the family on my business, which it was in its really early stages. And that was really, that was really scary. And like, I think it, it, it's just a, a risk that I have to take. There is a risk that before my company ramps up that something could happen, but I couldn't let that stop me from doing what I knew I wanted to do and what I knew was right to do. Um, but it was kind of a, a, a hard time to be like thinking about all this, but luckily that was short lived and um, I've, you know, been able to grow and, and I'm in a very different position now, but, um, for sure. I mean, it's, now, scary. it's scary for everyone starting your own business. It's just a scary thing, no matter what your situation is. Right now, now like, correct me if I'm wrong. This is what I heard out of that. The self-talk was really trying to convince you, but your why was still stronger to, and, and you kept going because of your why. Yeah. I knew, I knew what the right thing to do was. And I feel like in the past, that feeling has always led me to do the right thing. I've never like doubted any decisions that I've made, but um, there was a moment where I'm like, is this really like the smart thing to be doing considering the circumstances when there are other options out there in my bank dangled in my face? <laughs> it wouldn't have been a problem if they hadn't have called me. <laughs> I, you know what? That's amazing how many times that happens, eh? Like where you think everything's fine. You have a little thing going in your head and you're going, but you know what? What else would I do? I mean, I love what I'm doing. And you know what? No, no, I got to keep focused. I got to stop getting yeah. the distraction. Then all of a sudden you get that call, like you said, and you're like, oh, now I'm tempted. Now what do I do? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, seriously, like, did you have to call right now? It was like the, the day that I was like, ah, oh. but yeah, it's called me back when I have a hundred thousand dollar check in my hand, and I'll know the answer real quick. <laughs> <laughs> but then I realized, you know, what what amount of money would it take to get me to not do what I want to be doing? I don't think there's really any. I mean, obviously, if someone was like, "I will pay you a billion dollars," like, but it's at, at this point in my life, there's no other option that could come along that would make me want to do anything differently than what I'm doing now. Because what I'm doing now is like my dream job that I designed myself. I only do what I like to do. I don't do any of the things I don't want to do. I've intentionally like offloaded things that I don't like doing. It doesn't get any better than this. And it doesn't matter. It's not about money at this point. It's just like doing what I need, need what I know I need to be doing. Boom, snap right there. Yeah. Like you said, so it's if not anyone about listening money. wants to offer me a job, it needs to be really good. Yeah. No, no, but going to what you said there, right? Like it's, it's, and that's a common theme I hear with entrepreneurs. It's not about the money. No. Yeah. Right. I mean, obviously we need money to live, but I've if never heard the money to do something else that was easier. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, and that's, that's exactly, again, I've never heard anybody come on and say, I did this because of the money. I've always, it's always about, there's always something bigger, which is awesome. Love it. I mean, I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm going to ask you one more question and then go into a, uh, maybe a, um, a, uh, oh, what do I call it? Like a lightning round. Ooh. So, um, 
Okay. So the question is, sorry, I was getting feedback. Um, so the question I have is, what would you tell aspiring entrepreneurs? Mm, don't expect anything to happen fast or easily, but know that it is absolutely worth whatever headache it takes to get it going because being an entrepreneur, you know, it's not for everyone, but if it's something that you are interested in doing and you, I just don't think there's anything better. I think it's like the best job ever, whatever it is you're doing. If you're doing it for yourself, it's the best job ever. And it is a ton of work, like a ridiculous amount of work. And it takes a long time to make money and it takes a long time to like get things going. But it's like, so when I think back and I always loved my jobs, I really did. I always loved the people I work with, but now I'm like, I could never go back to doing this because this is what I need to be doing. This is exactly what I want to do. So anyone that's thinking of starting their own business, whatever it is, just know it's going to suck for a while, but it's the payoff will be so good that you'll never, you'll, you won't be able to believe how long you did whatever before it's, it's worth, it's worth it for sure. Well, that's a really good answer. Now going into the lightning round. So just a few short questions just for a little fun. Um, question one, what's your favorite podcast? Oh my gosh, that's a tough one. Cause I love so many of them. My favorite podcast is um, terrible. Thanks for asking by Nora McInerney. She's an author. It's the best podcast ever. It's, it's, it's about, it started off being about really depressing topics because her husband died of the same brain cancer that my husband has, but she's like oh. really funny and she, <laughs> she makes it funny and she talks about all sorts of other stuff, but she's so good. So check it out. It's really good. It's not as depressing as I'm making it sound. <laughs> I get it. Well, probably it's all worse for you because you can relate to some of it, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I get it. Um, uh, favorite book, I'm assuming you read. I do. Um, it has been so many years since I read something that was not business related. What well, could be business related too? Well, my favorite non-business related book is Catch-22. Oh, interesting. It was assigned in high school. And I just, I think it's the best book. Awesome. Since I read it. <laughs> Favorite movie? I have a lot of those. Ah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have so many. Okay, top three we'll say maybe. Labyrinth. Favorite movie from my childhood. Um, the Jerk with Steve Martin. Comedy? Yeah, they're all, I, I like funny movies. And then, um, oh my gosh, I don't even know. I, I seriously have so many favorite movies. I'm like, I really love movies. Awesome, awesome. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite vacation spot while we were still allowed to go? <laughs> oh, um, I think the best vacation I ever went on was Switzerland. That was like the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my life. Oh, how long ago was that? It was quite a few years ago I went. I think it was like maybe seven years ago or eight, maybe longer than that, eight years ago. But it was gorgeous. The idea of being, ever since I had kids, obviously it put a damper on my vacation plans. I don't want to be on a plane with those two knuckleheads for that long. And kids. I'm just yeah. <laughs> um, Favorite food. Well, I'm, I'm a cook. That's my thing. That's what I love to do. And it's really hard to narrow that one down. Oh my gosh. You're, I was not prepared for any of these questions. <laughs> that was kind of why I, I, I do it. It's Moroccan, just for fun, right? Moroccan food is my favorite. We usually, we used to go for my birthday every year. We'd have Moroccan food. Nice. My nice. So you like cooking. I love cooking. What do you, what do you love cooking the most? What do you hope that nobody asks you for? Um, I, so when COVID first happened and we were stuck at home, I was like, I am going to come out of this with new skills. I'm going to learn to cook. I was like watching Julia Child and I was like, I'm going to learn to cook French food. That's, that's going to be my COVID talent that I've 
come out of this horrible thing with. But and then, you know, COVID lasted way longer than I thought it would. But I did learn some really good French recipes. Um, they're complicated. And the ingredients, I have to drive all over town finding ingredients. So it's like a, really? it's like an ordeal. And no one, I mean, my husband likes it, but the kids are just like, nah. So it's, <laughs> it's not like I get a, a big payoff at the end. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But with kids, it's hard, right? You give kids peanut butter uh, and you tell them they you're going to add some Nutella. Yep. And then if you add them Nutella, you've made their year. Forget that. Oh their my day. gosh, they're obsessed with Nutella. Nutella. Yeah, you see what I mean? So kids are very, very easy to please. You <laughs> yeah. give them something that's better for them. And it's like, oh, well, can we have a cookie with this? And you're yeah. sitting there going, no, no, this is the food. This is the real food. Yeah. But, uh, but, they're, but they want the cookie. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Awesome. I want to say thank you for being on the podcast. Um, Maybe before you go, if you can uh, let everyone uh, watching or listening know, where can they find you online? Yeah, so um, you can visit my website. It's trueworthfp.com. F is in Frank, P is in Paul. That has, um, if you go to my website, you'll see areas where you can schedule a free consultation. So I offer free consultations to anyone, and I totally encourage you to take me up on it. Um, that's a good place to get a hold of me. Or you can check me out on social media. I'm on Instagram at True Worth FP. I'm on uh, LinkedIn. You can look up Rachel Burns. Um, I'm on Facebook and YouTube, but I would say Instagram or or just going to the website would be a great way to, to get a hold of me. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun. Thank you, John. This was great. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure.